It's episode 45 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Piotr Murawski. Let's start by talking about your latest project, which I think is a is it a first in improv, would you say? Um, almost. Almost the first. Yes. So basically, uh, I have been thinking about doing uh, an improv with an artificial intelligence. Brilliant. I've been thinking about it for a few years. And I really started working on this uh, in January in a serious way. Um, and in April, somebody else called Corey Matthewson uh, did uh, an AI-assisted improv in Alberta. So Corey Matthewson is at the Rapid Fire Theatre. What he did was using a chatbot. I used something slightly different, and we will come back to the details. But the result of this is that we have teamed up. Brilliant. Yes, so now <laughs> we are collaborating. We actually met already uh, twice, once in London uh, on, on the day when he came to give uh, a master class, and, and once in New York uh, during a trip. You're actually doing a conference on artificial intelligence. Nice, nice. Yes. So now we teamed up and uh, we're going to have an even better version of the AI. <laughs> and why not have two AIs chatting one with each other? One word, Skynet. Um, you know my feelings about it. Uh, we have all seen the same science fiction movies, and I think that every single researcher in the AI has seen those same movies, and they are tired of hearing about <laughs> references about Terminator and such. Seriously, people do consider all the possible risks, uh, starting from the existential risks, uh, so machines taking over, to a much more mundane risk, which is robots taking uh, people's jobs. And um, there is actually a big research in that on how to, um, um, for instance, universal uh, basic income uh, that could uh, replace in a post-job uh, society um, the revenues uh, of individuals. Uh, I would say that, uh, so I am a research scientist in artificial intelligence myself, uh, I would say that it's a good time to focus on developing uh, your uh, improvisation and artistic skills because this, as you understand at the end of the podcast, is something that machines are very, still very, very far from uh, beating us at. <laughs> so it's a perfect time to do uh, art and the humanities and everything like that. Very glad to hear it. Uh, no, there is a lot of this um, anthropocentric... Uh, prior that we have, which is that machines are going to do exactly what we did, which is to colonize and uh, subjugate everything else, mm. uh, which might not necessarily be the case. Perhaps machines will actually be way, be way smarter than that and just figure out that, well, they can, do, they can live independently from those humans who are making silly wars and uh, voting stupid laws and getting out of Britain or uh, out of Europe and voting for Brexit or whatever. Oh God, I'm doing politics now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, no, so uh, I think uh, with a little bit of caution, we can avoid other bad scenarios. Uh, I believe that machines can actually be uh, used as a tool and uh, as a sidekick. So I love the movie Interstellar, uh, where um, 
the artificial intelligence was essentially a friend uh, who uh, could be deactivated, uh, but who also um, who could be parameterized in terms of, uh, uh, I think, an amount of humor, of sense of humor mm. and uh, emotions. Uh, but who, sincerely, uh, was helping the uh, main human protagonists. Uh, and uh, that's essentially the uh, future that uh, I, I hope uh, awaits us as a machine, <laughs> as a tool. And uh, the reason why I've been working on this artificial intelligence improv is actually to, um, to draw attention on... Um, on everything that machines uh, cannot do and that we need to do to compensate, um, but also to uh, to emphasize some aspects of improv. So for instance, um, the AI that de developed uh, always does the most obvious thing. Um, and uh, just like a good improviser. And it does it conditional on the past sentences that you may, might say to it. Uh, it keeps track of a topic, uh, it uh, is absolutely spontaneous, it doesn't hold back. Right. Uh, it does not plan uh, ahead uh, any behavior. Uh, it, uh, it is gender neutral. Uh, it does not have any specific preconceptions about uh, status and race, etc., which is really nice. Uh, it does, however, inherit uh, from the data that were used to train it. So perhaps at this point it's good to actually talk about how uh, it was built. Essentially what this is, it is a program that runs on my laptop. And uh, it has a speech recognition module, so I can interact with it by speaking, just like an improviser. Uh, it doesn't, does not have a camera, so all the input comes from uh, textual uh, input, uh, textual uh, interaction. It has a dialogue model. Uh, so once the speech is recognized and transcribed into words, uh, it reads those words and outputs the most likely sentence line of dialogue that follows according to its internal model. Wow. And then it pronounces it using a um, a, vo a voice synthesis uh, component. So you can actually hear it speaking. And uh, so far I've been playing with only one voice, a standard British voice, but uh, I'm going to introduce a random selection of different voices. Um, so what I have developed myself is uh, the interface that links all those components and provides with some uh, web interface so that it can uh, also display it on screen and the dialogue model. So the speech recognition and this voice synthesis already developed. Yeah. Uh, so voice synthesis is coming from my uh, Apple MacBook. Uh, and voice recognition, uh, I'm using now the Google speech recognition, um, which runs in the cloud. The, vo the dialogue model uh, is what I designed and I trained myself. And here, um, my um, uh, my background as a research scientist in artificial intelligence was very handy. So um, I trained it on about uh, one billion words of, wow. spoken, of, of written dialogue transcribed from spoken text in movies. 
<laughs> so I collected uh, all that corpus of uh, of dialogues from um, uh, Open Subtitles, which is a website that uh, where people can submit subtitles to different movies. Cool. Uh, that represents one hundred thousand movies. Wow. Yes. Um, so on average, basically, each movie contains ten thousand words. Uh, that also includes the uh, the little dash that separates one line of dialogue from the other line of dialogue. Right. Yes. Um, and um, and basically, I created a neural network. Uh, so it's a piece of uh, software that works a little bit, uh, is inspired by the way the, uh, the visual cortex in the brain works. Yeah. Uh, and it is trained on data. So it relies on a technique called machine learning. So the machine is lear learning based on the data it has. Uh, it takes weeks to train it. Mm. Uh, so I'm actually uh, running it on a powerful uh, computer in the cloud. Uh, but once it is trained, I can uh, run it on my laptop. Wow. Uh, and uh, input and talk to it, have the text transcribed, uh, and then it generates uh, responses in return. What do you call your AI? Does it have a oh, name? Oh, yes. So uh, the group, uh, because this is a two-prof group, oh, yes. is called Human Machine. Uh, and it emphasizes the fact that there is a human and a machine. Ah, I joined which is which? Which is which, exactly. It, it's, uh, you're, it's, you're the human. I am the human. <laughs> but in some way, I think that humans and biological organisms all pattern machines. And we are trying to do what we can to make the AI look like a human. So I'm also adjoining the two words, human-machine, to actually emphasize the fact that uh, we are very linked uh -huh. and uh, sometimes indistinct. Cool. And uh, I, um, so I took uh, the stage name of Albert in the duo, and my partner is Alex, which is an acronym for Artificial Language Experiment. And it could be female or, or male. Uh, it's a, a gender-neutral name, so it's quite handy, actually. So yeah, tell me, give me a suggestion of a word, perhaps. A romantic dinner in a restaurant. Start improvising. Samantha. I'm happy to see you back. It's so good to see you, darling. Samantha, I have something for you. I don't want to talk, but I am not going to tell you. Samantha, you don't need to talk. You just need to listen. I have a declaration to make to you tonight. And it's not like I am going to be here, okay? Samantha, I want you to be here with me, to be there with me for the rest of your days and of my days. Samantha, I would like to propose to you. Samantha? We know the first group of ice and gonna leave you if it's possible to get out first and you won't tell. Samantha, I know that the, the first group that you we ever knew... I don't know where you want me. I want you to be by my side, Samantha. She's gone. She can't go back. No, Samantha, don't say that! Samantha is not gone! The one that I've always been loving is by my side and will be... forever. You can't give her the letter you pay me. 
Samantha. The letter that I gave. I'm sorry, but I miss you too. I miss you too, Samantha. And scene. I am sorry. I am sorry. Voilà. Um, yes. So wow. that was an example. Um, what the um, listener cannot see is that the speech recognition was actually quite wrong sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you were looking at the screen and yes. it was sometimes really, really off. Yes. Which is actually not a big problem because basically, uh, in spite of uh, words sometimes being completely off, um, the system still manages to produce uh, sentences. Yes. So now I think maybe I can say a little bit about how it works. As I'm trying, I would try not to be too nerdy in this, yeah. but uh, they're all very simple concepts actually that can be explained. So um, we know, for instance, that in the language, uh, words have different probabilities, likelihoods of occurring, like the word V, E, U, I, are very likely in the English language. Some other words, such as uh, serendipity, are a bit less likely, unless, of course, it's a romantic comedy. <laughs> so now, this introduces the idea of a concept, of, of a context, I mean. So, you can uh, define the likelihood of a word in an absolute sense or based on a context of uh, where this word is pronounced. And one way of defining the context is uh, the context of the previous words. Right. So this idea uh, was actually thought uh, carefully by, by um, a, a researcher at Bell Labs called Claude Shannon. He, he's called the, in the father of information theory and he wrote seminal papers in the 40s and the 50s. Um, and he designed uh, some very simple words uh, based models, language models, based on statistics on which words would occur given previous words. Uh, and he was able to actually generate some simple, sen uh, simple sentences or even long pieces of text, which uh, looked for the first few words sense, uh, as if they made some sense, but then when you would read the entire sentence of the entire paragraph, you would realize that it, it would just drift. Yeah. Because the context was always uh, the past three words. Right. So it's a bit like uh, somebody was speaking and just forgetting uh, everything but the last three words. So yeah. you would expect them to drift. And funnily enough, Keith Johnstone mentioned his work uh, in uh, the book Impro. All oh, right. Yes. Uh, so Keith Johnson was a bit dismissive about this idea because, of course, uh, it's not exactly like somebody's uh, speaking through their unconscious. Uh, it's more just a machine producing statistics on words. But this, at least, introduces the first bit uh, of how Alex works. So it produces words based on the context of previous words. And um, it literally computes the likelihood of all the words in the vocabulary vocabulary consists of 100,000 words. So I ch it's, it's quite a large number of words, but the reason why I chose such a big number is because um, basically um, this, uh, this enables me to have rare words in English uh, and also proper nouns, uh, nouns of places, uh, names of locations and uh, historical figures, etc. Um, so, the model computes the likelihood of every word at any point in time, and then it samples randomly a word uh, according to that uh, distribution of probabilities. So, I think the closest analogy I can make to it is uh, role-playing games. 
you know that you throw a dice. Yes. Uh, you, you throw uh, several dice or throw a die. Um, and uh, if you played multiple times the same role-playing game and you threw uh, the die, so you say you, several versions of you play the same game and throw the die, uh, you would actually have different stories yes. which will be generated. Uh, but uh, if, let's say, you are a paladin and you are extremely, uh, you have uh, 9 out of 10 in dexterity and uh, 10 out of 10 in uh, strength, uh, well, you're most likely to, to win in any combat. Yes. Uh, and, uh, but perhaps uh, you will not be as good in persuasion. So, so yes. So the model that I built literally generates multiple sentences just by sampling uh, words uh, one by one uh, and then it chooses the most likely sentence at the end, the one that uh, whose cumulative probabilities are the highest. Uh, so that's one piece of a, of, of a puzzle. The other one is um, this idea of um, words being uh, happening together in uh, in literature, tend to be related, right. and you can define a word by the company it keeps. So this is a uh, sentence verbatim pronounced by uh, a linguist, uh, by several linguists in the uh, the fifties, and that it's another uh, field, subfield of um, of research in linguistics and natural language processing. Um, and so in my model, uh, for each word. I, I learn a representation based on which consists in a bunch of numbers. And imagine that if each word had three numbers to represent it, you could literally map them in space, in a three-dimensional space. Wow. Uh, so initially, those, those words would be randomly placed, but based on which words occur together, uh, they, would they would be drawn one to the other. So for instance, the word tennis and court or uh, royal court uh, would be drawn together because uh, because of the sequences uh, tennis court and royal court, and then you would end up with uh, a lump corresponding uh, of words corresponding to royalty, another lump of words corresponding to sports, which would be maybe not too far from each other, but kind of uh, uh, in different parts of that space, um, and. Uh, and thanks to that, that means that you can easily find synonyms. Uh, so even if the model has never seen a, a pattern of words before, or a specific pattern of words before, it can still try to guess uh, what it is about by looking at this presentation of those words. Wow. And essentially find synonyms. And so it operates in this synonym space, in this meaning space, uh, which uh, people call the semantic space. So when, you, when you're performing with Alex, you're playing a persona? Yes. You're playing a character? Yes. Can you just explain a little bit about that character, where the characters come from? Yeah, exactly. So the great thing with playing with Alex is that basically um, I, uh, I need to justify everything that Alex says. Yes. I need to make Alex look good. And this is one of the key rules in improv. Uh, but you need to make your partner look good on stage. <laughs> uh, so I try to come up with strong characters, uh, change my voice. Of course, I need to have a voice that's still recognizable by this visual recognition. Yes. Um, and um, 
I need to essentially introduce other elements that Alex cannot provide on stage, so the physicality right. and the emotion. Uh, so Alex essentially behaves like uh, a person that's not that who you cannot see, but I try. Um, I have different ways of interacting with it. So, for instance, it can be an invisible person in front of me or next to me. Uh, I'm also going to manipulate puppets. Wow! Uh, and so Alex is basically the voice of a puppet. Wow! That sounds um, cool. One avenue I didn't explore. Um, that Corey uh, Matthewson did explore is the idea of an avatar on screen. Cool. I didn't want to have this myself because I didn't want to to people uh, to have to look people to have to look on the screen right, to watch yes. the, and me to be turned towards the screen yeah. and f and essentially focus the center of attention in a small part of a stage. Yes. So um, having Alex being the sort of diffuse uh, and flexible invisible character is much more flexible. Yes, I think. Yeah, of course, what's difficult with playing with Alex is that um, uh, Alex doesn't manage to keep a consistent stance right. uh, on any opinion it has, uh, on they have. Uh, because so Alex is only remembering the previous three words. No, Alex remembers more than that. Alex actually can remember a very long uh, string of words. Uh, and I also use um, what I call a topic model. So basically, um, if I say a sentence, it picks up the, the words in it, and it tries to find uh, the genre based on the words. Uh, so then, when it generates the sentences word by word, it is uh, conditioned both on the genre and on the previous words. So, and it keeps that genre along during the improv. So, um, I, I, I extracted those genres from the 100,000 movies and I was able to find uh, organically uh, genre that would correspond to action movies or to uh -huh. science fiction yeah, or yeah, to yeah. war movies or romantic comedy. So if you open with something that uses science fiction terms, yes. Alex is going to you know, access that topic yes. and then the replies will be framed. Yes. Oh, interesting. So it doesn't keep a stance, but at least it keeps the topic. Oh, nice, yes. So, so yeah, when we just improvised, he, uh, Alex kind of kept talking about things related to love. I mean, it never really threw up uh, any word to science fiction, so I guess it's, yeah, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah no, definitely. <laughs> kind of works. And so how often do you rehearse? Um, well, <laughs> good point. Um, I did spend a lot of time just programming the language, that the, the, the piece of software that would learn. Uh, I did spend a lot of time, maybe altogether almost a hundred hours, just uh, getting the data, cleaning up the data, uh, programming, uh, and then running the experiments and checking everything is good, and then debugging it. So when I was debugging it, yes, I would uh, try um, uh, to interact a little bit with it. but. Uh, I think uh, so far maybe I've only played with Alex in a consistent way maybe for uh, three hours altogether. I did uh, two shows already uh, at the uh, Hose and Stables, the C3 uh, something drop-in and the, the main show. And I think that went 
quite well. I was quite happy. <laughs> um, were there any technical problems on the night? Uh, yes, and uh, the technical problems were fine because essentially it was just part of a show. <laughs> the show needs to go on. Because you're an improviser, so you can cope with those sort of issues. Exactly. Uh, I also did a very short podcast scene uh, at the Androp podcast uh, with uh, Robert Schaffer oh. and Andy Smith. Cool. Uh, running it. And... Um, yeah, and also debugged it and actually played with it with uh, with Corey and Corey uh, on his side uh, has been playing with us. So, before you started working with Alex, you improvised with other people. Yes, yes, with human beings. Yes. So it all started in France uh, when I was studying in engineering school. Um, the natural, yeah, <laughs> the natural, obviously, hotbed God. improv. The amount of times I hear that on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it was in the past millennium, in 1999. Uh, so uh, it was in Toulouse, in France. Um, our teachers were coming from a group called CCD, which literally means the, the C with um, the diacritic on it. Um, like in the word français. Oh, yeah. Actually, the word français contains a, a C with a CD. On ah, right. Yes yes, 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 yes. And you cannot write it with a, a basic uh, English alphabet. You need to add the diacritic. And um, so CCD uh, were a group of improvisers uh, who were running lots of great workshops. Uh, I think they define themselves as Chicago style in their approach, but they were doing lots of improv sports. Ah, right. And uh, most of the uh, improv uh, consisted in meeting between teams. So right. our, our school, uh, our club, improv club, would meet another club. And then we improvise both on stage. Uh, what was cool was that we had, this really forced us to, be, to accept what, uh, what the other uh, were offering. And um, I remember that CCD were very strong about avoiding violence. And violence meant many things. It meant avoiding, um, uh, so of course, pushing each other on stage or, or even just uh, killing things because, yeah, great. You have a, uh, somebody on stage and you kill him, kill her, and great, the improv has ended. Um, but also uh, being violent in how um, we would impose an idea on somebody else. Uh, so we had to be really ac tolerant and, accept, uh, and accepting everything. Yeah. Um, and despite this, despite the fact that uh, before each improv we would have about 30 seconds of preparation time where uh, in each team one, one of the person of the team would uh, prep the rest of the team and give suggestions, okay, the who, what, where. So um, let's say that it, this is a, a shop and uh, you are a, an angry lady and uh, etc. So the person, one person would step on uh, on stage from each team and uh, with all those ideas and preconceptions they had and then the person on the other team would do something completely different <laughs> and well we would have to go with it um, so of course uh, when there was obvious preparation time um, something needed to be done from a scenic point of view uh, from a stagecraft point of view so the um, the host of the MC would actually prepare skits Oh, right. And uh, what was really cool was uh, before each uh, improv show, improv match, uh, we would literally prepare uh, costumes and songs. And I remember I prepared a few of them uh, as an MC. And 
I had a whole playlist uh, on a CD uh, to play, and at some point we did um, uh, in our school in front of uh, in, in a fe during a festival, and our professors also sitting and watching, etc., uh, in the audience. Uh, and we decided to do uh, the Brits. We decided to uh, to do skits about the British. <laughs> of course, what else? We were French. I know. I'm afraid I don't quite understand what uh, what humour could be derived from the <laughs> British. There, I think you'll find. Uh... So uh, things that uh, we came up with were uh, do a, a skit from Psycho. So I actually brought um, <laughs> a shower curtain on stage, <laughs> and my friend had a knife, and so we were playing uh, a stressful music uh, yeah. kind of. Yeah, with suspense, yeah, yeah. and I was pretending to like a shower, and yeah. he would show the knife, and we'll, I would shout, and up, end of a skit, beginning with improv. Oh, we did. Uh, 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 was that a, was that a satire of the British? Uh, was that just something else you did? Because I like to think that if you did that, uh, it would be something about how the British were too polite to complain <laughs> that there was a dead body in the bath or something like that. Yes. <laughs> it's like, Don't worry, Mar Mar Miriam. We'll just uh, we'll just uh, not have a bath. No, the satire was. Was very, uh, as we say in French, bon enfant. So uh, we ju we just took, I don't know, th things that that we loved. So of course the idea of uh, uh, Hitchcock movies. Or uh, we also did a revolution, a rebellion uh, inspired by another breaking of a wall, and we just did students rebelling and marching, etc. So it was all right to have violence in the skits, but not in the improv. Yes, exactly, exactly, and. Um, so yeah, so this was a great uh, learning opportunity uh, of improv, and this lasted for three years. And I developed, I think, a very verbal kind of improv. And then I started improvising in English. Yes, because I was going to ask, when you improvise in French, do you improvise in a different way from when you improvise in English? Um, I think so. But I haven't improvised in French for a while already. And uh, yeah, and when I switched uh, to English, first it was one year in in England in Cambridge. I realized I had to, I, I couldn't understand what people were saying to me. I mean, I would understand maybe fifty percent of what people yeah. would say to me, and I would understand ten percent of uh, of a stand-up comedy show. So I had to improvise on top of improvisation. So I mean, is that cultural references or is it just the even words? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, okay, <laughs> My yeah, speech yeah. recognition didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just couldn't get the patterns of language. Right. Um, yeah, and of course, cultural references as well. So uh, I compensated by being physical. Brilliant. And, Which uh, is actually a really great thing to do. Yes. And one thing I learned, and that was from uh, so the group I was doing it was called Amazing Spectacles, is that you need to do the most obvious thing. Yes. And actually, I kept that memory, uh, the memory of that saying, and that incorporated it later. So then I moved to New York. Uh, I was for 10 years in New York, and I did improv uh, with a short form uh, teacher, and then we had our mostly short form group. Uh, so the teacher was John Swist from Quick Thinking Improv. And what he taught me was to always keep the, to take the high road. So it goes with this idea of. Uh, uh, avoiding violence, so here to, yeah, so basically to try to be funny but not at the expense of somebody else or uh, another oh, group right, that's here. Nice. Um, and then it really um, materialized itself when we started our short film group called Cherub Improv, and I was part of it for seven years be until I left uh, the States. 
we did improv in front of, uh, well, in at nursing homes, wow. in hospitals, yeah, homeless uh, shelters. Uh, are they not suffering shelters. enough? <laughs> they're not suffering enough. They're already homeless. You're making them watch improvers or hell. <laughs> yes, indeed, poor guys. <laughs> so uh, yeah, sometimes actually in the uh, nursing home, uh, there will be people playing bingo and and just shouting at us to shut up, <laughs> <laughs> or just shouting louder. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was really funny. But no, yeah, so um, uh, yeah, that's really interesting um, places to uh, you know really au- interesting audiences to have, and it's uh, I'm interested in kind of the link if there is one between you know taking the high road and I don't know is it a generosity of spirit? Yes. I mean, how, what was it like performing for those sort of audiences? Um, it was a hard shell. Once it would break, it would be extremely soft. Uh, and uh, it was really delightful uh, because it, it was always a little bit challenging at the beginning and then uh, we, and we were coming with good intentions. I mean, we, we literally, I mean, for us, uh, it was a, a way to perform yes. and to do improv and to have fun and uh, to get the joy out of uh, seeing people uh, having fun. Okay, great. What else do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we would try to empathize. Um, I remember once uh, in a nursing home I was uh, playing a dating game and my suggestion was grumpy retired. (laughs) Okay, uh, well, let's take the high road. Yes. Uh, So I talked about the Watergate scandal and how (laughs) in our youth uh, we are all idealistic and we wouldn't waste our time in front of uh, stupid computers and on social media pretending to socialize. Right. Uh, We socialize as should be done at uh, Woodstock, uh, <laughs> physically touching each other and really, really spreading their love. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and it continued in a more grumpy way, and I think they liked it. Uh, over, yeah, also uh, taking the high road, we would do improv in uh, the veteran hospital. Wow. Uh, so, yes, when you have somebody in front of you who is in a wheelchair with uh, two missing legs, uh, a veteran from Vietnam, you try to avoid making jokes about crack, uh, being drunk, or guns, because, well, perhaps he knows better than you. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's just not take that road. <laughs> so, yes, so that was most of my improv uh, experience in New York, short form, uh, and uh, trying to empathize. And then I came to London. So, um, I did for one year improv at uh, City Academy. Um, um, and it was a great way to meet uh, friends. We started with Stephen Davidson uh, and many of us. We started Improbable, uh, so a short-term group. Uh, and then I discovered the nursery. Ah. And Tell me more of this nursery. I've not heard of this nursery before. No, no. We, we <laughs> really need to, to talk more about Jules Manns. And no, the, we don't. <laughs> the improv, the <laughs> musical improv class we took together. No, that was amazing. That, that, was, that was amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. And it was really a revelation. <laughs> no, so what I love about musical improv is the challenge yes. and uh, the fact that it needs to be sleek and perfect in a way. That you really need to respect the audience. Of course, um, so there are two different... Uh, two different ideas. Uh, one is being truthful, and this is um, Katie Shooter's uh, Truth and Song workshops. Uh, yeah, I mean, be, de- doing scenes where you sing a sad song and you don't even try to be funny, 
is, uh, and you just get the, the audience uh, raptured. It's something that, uh, that brings you an into, into a state of intellectual orgasm, in a way. And watching a showstopper uh, show, uh, wondering how the brain works. I mean, how many brains they have <laughs> running in parallel. Yes. Yes. And how many hands does Duncan have to play on his, <laughs> <laughs> his, on his piano? Um, so there is, yeah, it's a beautiful challenge. Okay. I think, <laughs> yeah, so I think that's all I want to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stuart. Thank you very much for being on the Improv London podcast. Thank you. Yay. And if you're interested uh, in seeing more, you can follow the webpage. On, uh, so you just find on Facebook Human Machine Improv, uh, and uh, my Twitter uh, handle is Piotr Improv. So it's P I O T R Improv. Thank you. I shall put the links in the show notes. Thank yeah, you very much. That's it will be actually easier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Yeah, brilliant. I made this. That's improv! <laughs> <laughs>